Welcome to what in the world is the if. Apologies, that was a little bit of a change up. Got the yeah, World Series coming up. Change up. So well, it up it. Let's see if I can do that. Mm-hmm. And um, it was. A, <laughs> I don't feel like it almost hit the batter, but uh, you know it happens. Uh, um, but apologies for all of you who actually more like me as as a listener would be like, oh no, I I need that mm-hmm. repetition. You know, that's part of the whole comfort of the thing. Just like you know, audio. You, you guys ever listen to books on Audible? Um, Audible, the audiobook service. So way back in the day, the books came on cassette tapes, and you right, you would you would you get a book, and it, I mean, I remember I would get them in these enormous boxes of like literally sixteen audio cassettes, you know. And anyway, at the end of one, at the end when you made it all the way to the end, there's this man comes on, and he says, "Thank you for listening to Audible," uh, something like that. And they, to their credit, have kept that guy's little announcement. Even It even sounds old, like it's, the recording isn't this digital quality or whatever. They've kept that on there all the way up to now where you can, you know, you buy it, it instantly shows up on your phone from a digital download. It still ends with, thank you for listening to all Good morning. And I like that. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Gabby, how are you? You, you had a... a um, yeah, I mean, I guess brush with, partial uh, collision. I mean, I didn't get it. Uh, but yeah, I had a couple days worth of full collision. exposure <laughs> with someone who was COVID positive and uh, did not know it at the time. Uh, and the oh. vaccine and booster fully held. So huzzah, I'm victorious and perhaps got what might be considered the forbidden fourth dose uh, <laughs> with my body reacting to whatever <laughs> COVID it saw. It's funny you should ask Matt, that. Do, do we have a gong? Is there a gong? I feel like when we say fourth dose. The forbidden, forbidden fourth dose. There we go. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Matt and I have been doing this show for, I don't know, about 40 years. And um, I, just, I just learned that there's a, Matt has his own Well, I do have another one, there, at least too, one. but it's kind of horrifying. Sound you ready for a horrifying noise? Oh. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, horrifying. Is it is it the goat toy? Yes, my friend has one of those. I love it so much. It's a little goat. It's a little goat that screams when you push the button. Now that sounds Uh, very much. Do you know about the Wilhelm scream or Wilhelm's? Yeah. So in in movies, there is this sound effect that's like this inside joke with all the sound people or people who do put sound into movies of this one particular scream. So theoretically in every action movie of any kind, where there's people running around and maybe falling off cliffs or getting shot, uh, you will hear this one particular scream. Do you want to hit that again, Matt? And I will, I will compare that later. No, no. Oh, will he do it? No, it's for, I think you have to kick it. No, not the ASPCA. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah all right awesome. so uh and next week i will uh, report back 
with our investigation of the goat, is the goat doing the Wilhelm scream? And uh, what is the proper pronunciation of that? So all of that aside, so we've survived COVID. Uh, uh, Gabby has survived uh, COVID showing up uh, with a goatee on, trying to, you know, possibly an imposter there uh, with gongs. And we have um, uh, famous Hollywood goats uh, lurking in Matt's office. And this week... Um, and, and this is good. I'm, I'm going to cleanse the palate, and we're going to go now to to the mailbag, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the mailbag. A little Garrison Keillor moment here on the show, and um, we're giving another shout out. Uh, I believe we've already done one of uh, this fabulous super ifer listeners' ideas. Um, I could be wrong about this. Could be his debut. I'll have to look that up. But Sean Dubay. Uh, from Saint-Jacques, New Brunswick, Canada. Uh, I don't know if I, should I be putting a French accent on uh, New, no, Brunswick? New Brunswick is, is New Brunswick. English, so you can just say New Brunswick. It would be Nouveau Brunswick. Okay, if you want right. to do it the other way. Ah, Nouveau Brunswick. That's, that sounds very nice, actually. Um, so, uh. Sean, by the way, thank you. Sean sent in, as I encourage all of you to do, uh, an idea for a show. We call that an if. Do you have an if in mind? We call the, these thought experiments we do each week, we call them an if. What the if? And uh, Sean sent 10. Um, and, and, you know, I, I believe for all of us who are um, chauvinist about the de mm -hmm. decimal system, as I am, uh, I salute that. And, uh, um, but if you just got one idea, feedback, if you email us at feedback at whattheif.com or just go to our website, whattheif.com, send us an idea. And so Sean had done this. And, and when he'd written in, he said, uh, hi, guys, I really love your podcast. Thank you very much for that. I uh, discovered it recently, and now I listen all the time. So it's been a little while since you sent this in, Sean. So let us know if you're still listening. I hope you are. Uh, I thought, he, Sean continues, I thought I'd send you a few ideas for the show. Ha <laughs> a few. And then it was like 10. Um, I haven't listened to your entire catalog yet. <laughs> Amazing. So forgive me if you've already covered them. Uh, and I don't believe we've actually done any. All these are all brilliant ideas. But the one for today, <clears throat> excuse me, is going to be in honor of, uh, we are recording this on uh, Thursday, November 11th. And and Matt, can you tell us, uh, is there something uh, big that uh, Yeah, so day? the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Um, let's see here. 103 years ago um, was the official end to the fighting of World War I. Um, and it's probably important. So this is the, the moment the guns fell silent, as they say at the time. Um, it's not actually the formal end of the war. It's the beginning of the armistice. The formal end of the war isn't until the next summer when the Treaty of Versailles is, is approved. Um, but this is the moment at which people um, stopped killing each other 103 years ago. In the first world war. In the first and then got ready for the second. Yeah. So they stopped for, they got ready, right. And in fact, speaking of getting ready for the second, well, Sean, Sean has this interesting question. I love these things. It's kind of alternative history. I love that. It's a whole kind of branch of, I suppose you would call it science fiction, alternative history. And he asks, what the if? You know, and there's a sound effect for that, Sean. You have, and it's, it's not the gong. It's the if. 
of all time. Sean asks, what the if? Cell phones and social media had been available at the beginning Dramatic pause for music. What if cell phones and social media had been available at the beginning of World War II? Wow. So apparently there's going to be another war uh, coming our way after this. We're imagining mm-hmm. being in the armistice of World War I. Something else is coming our way. And so he says, so, so what if cell phones and social media had been available in World War II? And so... Thought we'd do a little, a little what the if magic here, and and bring that in. Say, hey, if it's going to be in World War II, let's imagine that it, it must have begun and started to ramp up uh, in the during the period between World War One and World War Two. And so, uh, my in in when we begin these experiments, um, we kind of have to define our def- define the experiment a little bit. And so possibly I'll, I'll put this out there to the, to the team here uh, and, and say maybe what we can do is also say at the end of World War I, right there, social media, cell phones, we're in its early phase. So we can begin that, right? It's just where the way it was for us. So I, I could say for us to be the equivalent of what happened in our, our universe uh, around 2007, the iPhone came out in 2007. Yeah, it's doable. So the were first thing. And then you kind of got early Facebook. So... Um, Gabby, you're a you're a uh, uh, um, experienced social media person. You're an influencer. I am not, but <laughs> no? that is a very okay. niche term no. on social media. Me and my 300 followers lack, on Instagram are not an in- influencer <laughs> in any way. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you're familiar. You're familiar with it. And uh, so we're one. one so the the. Uh, Armistice was announced and you go on Instagram. What, how, what's happening? What do you see? It's 1918. It's 1918. Yeah. So if you're on the front, um, I think you'll, you'll take a a video Ah. of no man's land. Um, So the cratered churned Mm. up uh, earth where the fighting had been taking place for the previous four years. Um, and I said for the first time in a few years, it's quiet there, right? Maybe you could, uh, yeah, you take selfies in front of the machine gun nests and things, right? That's pretty cool. And for anyone, you know, Matt, have you seen the movie 1917 that came out recently? Yeah. It, yeah. Is that Sam Mendes? I believe is the director. Um, incredible, uh, vivid recreation and uh, of the feel of being there in world war one so I, I recommend it i haven't seen dunkirk i heard that's also exceptional um so gabby let's say you're on the front what um what did they they did they have women in the uh, army not fighting then? but there are many women served um in the medical corps uh ambulance drivers and so on right and it totally makes sense gabby is a uh in this universe a virologist at uh, Rockefeller University, and Matt, I have not given your, your uh, need to say your New York University. It's yeah, it's, it's for the best science. that I remain slightly anonymous for the moment. Yeah. No. Slightly, <laughs> I like that. Slightly anonymous. That reminds me of uh, 
like the earth, <clears throat> the listing of the earth and the hitchhiker's mm -hmm. guides, mostly harmless. Matt is slightly anonymous. Um, so Gabby, you're on, you're on the front. You're, uh, what, what kind of, uh, what position would you like to have in the, uh, I mean, there? sorry, a big reason why I'm not a doctor is I hate working with people. So I don't imagine I would be a very good nurse. <laughs> sorry. Or maybe I'd be a great nurse because I just don't care what people are saying. Um, well, I should say you could, you, know, World War I. you could do what Marie Curie did, which was, um, uh, you know, x-rays were still a novel technology at the time. So she actually drove around a portable x-ray machine um, because it, it literally took a Nobel Prize winning physicist to operate them at the time. See, that um, sounds very much like my guess. And I do know a bunch of uh, scientists. They did work in and around World War One and Two, And uh, for the advent of microbiology as a science, this was very important because armies are gross mm -hmm. and people are always spreading diseases to each other. Um, and so it was actually by physicians traveling alongside our, well, physician scientists, because medicine was also a little wonky then, um, by curious minds traveling with the armies and essentially looking after them, we essentially realized, hey, these guys are all getting in the same diseases somehow, and if they all are doing X thing, uh, maybe that's causing it. And it was uh, huge to our understanding of medicine. So that sounds a little bit more my, my jam than mm -hmm. having right. to, I don't know, hack limbs off people. My last knowledge of battlefield medicine is in the Civil War, so I know it was a little bit more sophisticated, but... Not hugely, but... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Although, actually, yes, sadly, not, not right? Um, uh, that is... By the way, Matt, that is... It, the, the, it was already worth the price of admission to this episode to know that Madame Curie was driving around with a portable x-ray machine. Um, wow, that's... Well, I'm going to put that again. I'm putting, making a note to do right. something about that in the future. That is a movie mm -hmm. right there. Yeah. Sam Mendes, if you're ready for a sequel or another one. Yeah. nineteen, uh, And you know what? It, it would be rated X. X-ray. Oh, um, X-ray. Thank you. Thank you very much. Fortunately, I don't have a drum. Yeah. That would have been a good That, that would have been just a gong. Reach, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Just, no, exactly. Exactly. And slightly, the gong is slightly uh, anonymous. Um, so, Gabby, what do you post? Well, so I, this is something that I actually I, I kind of want to point out as a weird thing of social media. It might be useful to anyone who's listening who's not uh, Gen Z or late millennial, I guess, or, or millennial at all. Millennials understand this stuff. Um, I would not be posting on Instagram if I was talking about current events. Mm. Instagram is is sort of a, a glamour thing. It's isolated bits. Normally, you do not get into a nitty gritty. The real air quotes reporting happens on Twitter. Uh, which is yeah. a dumb system, but when things go down, Twitter usually has people experiencing yeah. it, talking about it, posting videos about it, which is funny considering it is like the format with the least text space. Um, but I think it's the most rapid fire, mm -hmm. which is why when things happen, you usually see that it's, you know, coming, the photos and videos and stuff like that you see are coming from Twitter and then circulated secondhand, usually on other sites than like Facebook, Reddit, Tumblr. Um, so yeah, I'm imagining point. that if I'm mm -hmm. posting anything, it's actually going on Yield Twitter, which I don't remember when Twitter got started. Wasn't that later than 2007-ish? I think that's right, but I don't remember. No, no. Twitter Twitter was definitely around um, before the iPhone. But, but I'll check that. Um, but mm -hmm. I like Yield yeah. Twitter, <laughs> which is what it would have been called. And um, 
it probably would have had, you know, it, it, it did have, it, we don't have to go back that far to get to a point where Twitter had half as many characters. You were allowed 140 instead of, I believe, the current. Oh, they bumped it? Man, I don't know anything about Twitter. I avoid it like the plague. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. No, actually, I, uh, Twitter's pretty good. I mean, it has, it definitely has its downsides, but um, yeah, I do like Twitter for certain things. It's kind of like a news, like a, as you said, the rapid fire thing. So you can follow, uh, pro tip, we have a Twitter account mm. at What The If Show. We have almost 22,000 followers Woo. now. So shout out to all of you. And um, yeah, I use it more as like a news feed. So like you know, any news organization you follow is going to, and this will tie into our, our little thing here, but uh, the New York Times, you know, if you follow at New York Times Science, you just get the, you know, they post a new article that you can get it on Twitter if you're there. Um, so given that, I imagine... Um, the newspapers would have would be tweeting, mm -hmm. and so that that also might come across. In fact, the very first uh, thing that might have happened is uh, right off. For instance, when there's an earthquake, uh, I, as well as many other people, often find out that um, you find it out on Twitter before right. anywhere because mm -hmm. some you know as soon as something happens, especially if you live in LA, like I'd done at one point. Uh, You'll just suddenly see earthquake, hashtag earthquake, <laughs> hashtag earthquake, hashtag earthquake, way before any mass media. So I can imagine that, you know, this the very first news might have been tweeted out. Um, also, here's the fun thing about Twitter, that world leaders do tweet, as mm -hmm. we are all too familiar in this universe. Um, and that did take some time. I'm not sure in the very, very, very early Twitter, that, that wouldn't have been the case. But we could imagine, you know, so what What world leaders would have tweeted, Matt, and uh, what might they have um, Well, certainly in come, you know, 1918, they're going to be, the uh, the French and the Brits are going to be um, dunking on the Germans, uh, uh, celebrating the, the German <laughs> defeat. Oh, right, already we have um, a tweet. Yeah, so, you know, Kaiser Wilhelm yeah. is like... Um, I see. I don't even know the Twitter abbreviation, so I can't do a proper joke. Um, but you know, That's right. I can um, translate for you. Yeah, yeah. Wilhelm suddenly uh, changes his location from Berlin to the Netherlands, uh, <laughs> and then um, uh, cry typing about the armistice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. and right. then um, right. you know, Clemenceau in Paris cry is typing. lol. Um, uh, victory to us. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, and they use a probably post like a emoji of some kind. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, well, emoticon. This is early two this is like two thousand and seven. Yeah, that's oh, right. Sorry. I don't know if there's an emoticon for yeah. like an inverted emoticon. German helmet, but that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People would have figured something out. Well no, yeah. they, they might have found a gif. They might have found a you know, posted a gif. Um Although even very, very early Twitter, I'm trying to remember, I'm not sure you could even post pictures, but it's, uh, we're, we're going to allow this. We're going to allow, allow Twitter is big enough so that world leaders are tweeting and so big enough that you can post images too. Um, and uh, let's see, is the United States is involved uh, in yes, this. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah, so, right. Uh, so Wilson who is, is president, president at the time. Hoover? No, uh, Wilson, I mean, Wilson is president and he was a fairly... Um, he does, if I'm remembering correctly, was he, he was not a charismatic. Like he no, was he was the, was the um, actually the, the former president of Princeton. So he was an academic. He was um, 
bookish and not very personable. Um, so he's no, not. On but Twitter. I should say, he's actually, Wilson is um, one of the things that happens at the end of the war that's probably relevant for thinking about social media is um, uh, the ACLU pops up right around the same time. Um, and it's not an accident because during the oh. war, Wilson tries to prevent. Uh, or tries to sort of crush certain political groups um, amongst the people on the left, like communists. Right. And, so, and the ACLU. Yeah. And for our friends outside, yeah, top of, oh, the American Civil Liberties Union. American um, Civil. So they emerge as a right. group to defend um, the notion of free speech. So the like the sense of free speech that we have today, like people should be able to say whatever they want, um, uh, comes out of the ACLU fighting back against Wilson at the end of the war. Um, so before that, oh, that was not really what freedom of speech meant. Um, so it's probably, so it's probably helpful right. to have that new idea of freedom of speech right as social media is becoming invented. Um, so we both have the technology and the kind yeah. of social expectation that it's now okay to just say whatever the hell you feel like. Although, oh, that's and this is fabulous. something I was wondering about yeah. when we first came up with this prompt, I was wondering that, you know, all right. This, if social media is starting, especially you've got the the '90s of social media, etc., starting during the war, then that is innately and intrinsically tied to the military. Then, yes, that's probably right. Because you know, if you've got you know, Hoover repressing freedom of speech, and you've got platforms for free speech that cross national boundaries, this is prime. Loose links, loose lips sink ships, which I can never say on the first try. Uh, territory, and also too, such a fun opportunity for espionage and counterintelligence. Yeah, yeah that's right. So this uh, yeah. is you know this is the era um, of you know Matahari and uh, daring spies stabbing each other in the Operation Mincemeat, my absolute favorite. <laughs> what is oh, that? That is fantastic. No, go you for can it. explain that yeah. a bit. Okay. Uh, essentially, the so Spain was neutral in World War One, and it became a hotbed of spying because essentially it was places where people from either side could be. Uh, and of course, either side kind of knew who the spies were. And so essentially, uh, the British came up with this great idea, aptly named because that is the soul of British wit is a uh, euphemism, um, <laughs> to essentially shoot a corpse from a submarine such that it would land and be discovered by the Spanish and then a spy of their particular choice could get a hold of the fake documents that this corpse was carrying, uh, which would then suggest an alternate location for where they were invading and say that the real location, if you heard any intelligence about that, was fake um, and actually was significant a significant reason why uh, World War I turned out as it did. What it is genuinely one of my favorite I did, things. If I'd had the needle, if I had the needle, no, scratch, yeah. So both world wars, the, the, the Brits were just coming. fantastic at these counterintelligence operations of trying to convince people that the things were happening in the wrong place and elsewhere. Um, and this uh, and this turns out to be really important, as you say, in the era of social media, it would have been a totally different kind of thing. Um, so, like before the Normandy invasion, right? The the Brits tried to convince the Germans that landings are going to be happening elsewhere than they actually were. So like they, they set up a huge um, fake army in North Africa to convince them that uh, um, there would be a landing 
uh, from the Mediterranean um, instead of from the Atlantic. Using so the fake were things like inflatable tanks um, Mm -hmm. and wooden cars and things. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, And then they do something similar uh, again right before Normandy to um, uh, convince the the Germans that the landing is coming in a different place than it actually is. Um, so if you so in the era of social media, that's a lot easier, right? You just get you know half a dozen thirteen year olds to create um, you know a few hundred smurfing accounts um, on Twitter to tweet about how they're hanging out in Morocco, um, and then the Germans uh, are watching that and like, oh well, all the all the British cell phones are are tweeting from North Africa. That's clearly where the invasion is going to come from. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. That reminds, I, I have to give a shout out to, this has to be a particularly loud and long traveling shout out, but to a, a relative of mine who's sadly no longer with us, but was, uh, I didn't, a lot of people in my family were in World War II and uh, oh, probably World War One as well. In World War II, uh, he was in, uh, this particular relative was uh, in some kind of unit where the way he described it was Patton would, and this will allow us to transition to talk about World War II here, um, Patton would, uh, you know, they, they'd attack a Germans at a town and they'd, you know, fight and fight. And then when the, <clears throat> until the sun went down, everything stopped. And then, uh, I think it was, um, it was an uncle of mine, would, um, he and all his whole unit would sneak in to where Patton had stopped that particular fight and all the soldiers that were there who had been fighting throughout the day snuck out of their tanks, snuck out of, gathered up their gear, and they all walked. And then they hiked all the way around to basically another flank of the Germans. And they set up there in the middle of the night. And then my uncle and these other folks would come in and sneak into the tanks and, you know, do this. And so what he said was the amazing thing was he had to learn all kinds of different things because he had to just be ready to jump into whatever it was you were assigned to do. And when the sun comes up, suddenly mm-hmm. there's two, <laughs> they're That's being attacked from two sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it was amazing. Um, and I'll just say the whole fakery that both in World War One, World War Two, all that, the, the deception, I love all that kind of stuff of the uh, camouflage and yeah, the other blow up tanks and all that. So um, World War Two gets started. And by this point, by the way, I looked it up, uh, Twitter began actually in 2006, in March of 2006. So Twitter was one year old uh, when the armistice happened, uh, the great armistice of, of 2006, um, <laughs> 2007, <laughs> when Steve Jobs said, <laughs> the, you know, the tweets, the tweets fall silent for a day. Um, so we jumped to World War II. And uh, I think... Matt, what what would be an interesting uh, place to uh, jump to in World War II, where we can go anywhere? Oh, we um, I guess we all you just kind of a particular what what of all the times in World War II, what what day had kind of the the greatest one of the greatest spikes in social media um, um, traffic? Let's hear. So, if we particularly want social media traffic, um, that's something that we would want to distinguish from. Um, official communications, right? Um, so certainly electronic communications would be very helpful for the generals, but we're interested in the grunts on the ground, right? Um, uh, so let's see here. We could... Um, 
Well, actually, I yeah. just yeah, I just thought of something. I'm gonna go into something. This is something I never do, but I'm going to rewind because I forgot I wanted to do the Einstein thing. So, Matt, uh, one of the most incredible things that happens at the end of World War One is uh, the 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 raising to celebrityhood, and this is the kind of thing that only could have happened with social media. It wouldn't have happened any other way. It was a scientist who was particularly good with the with the selfies and the memes, suddenly mm -hmm. becomes a superstar in 1918. Uh, tell us, tell us about this young man. This this uh, influencer. Yeah, so the young Albert Einstein, right, becomes sort of the yeah. uh, one of the first great celebrities of the the modern media age. And in our reality, that meant radio and um, uh, wire communications for newspapers. So you could send, you know, a newspaper story across the Atlantic. Um, and that's, uh, Einstein becomes famous at just the right time to take advantage of that. Um, but if he could be the, um, uh, if he had access to things like Instagram and Twitter, then that might've been a little bit different. And Einstein in particular was really good at right. the, the short quip. Um, so he'd be good. He'd be a good tweeter. Uh, yeah. I think, um, I don't know if he'd actually be super interested in doing it himself. Um, but I could well imagine, um, right. his wife, Elsa, um, uh, kind of tweeting for him as it goes, uh, or maybe an assistant, yeah. Yeah. but he's the, he would be the ultimate guy. Everybody would want a selfie with on the street. All right. Um, yes. I, yeah. I, well, I love it. In fact, right. He, he would, um, he's one of these celebrities who doesn't actually tweet. They're, like, they're almost even, they're even extra mm -hmm. cool because of that. Right. But everybody right. treats about mm -hmm. them to them. Etc. Um, and just just tell us exactly why you know. Here, what's interesting is that this is one of the reasons I was excited to to, <laughs> to do this was that Matt, you have a a book called Einstein's War, which everybody should check out. And in in it, it the, the war in that Einstein's War is World War One, and at the end is when Einstein becomes Ein the mm -hmm. Einstein we think of. Right. So up until this particular point. Nobody knows who he is, uh, including right. many in science, I suppose. Um, but he actually does, and it is because of the media he right. explodes. And so, so, what was that? And then we can sort of well, imagine I mean, what it was that? Today. Was you know, it's the uh, it's the end of the war. Um, everybody's you know, it seems like Western civilization has kind of managed to destroy itself. And then Einstein, this uh, peaceful German, becomes famous because a bunch of uh, peaceful English scientists go out and prove his theory with this uh, world-spanning expedition to observe a solar eclipse in 1919. Um, so Einstein gets gets thrust forward as the sort of symbol of the, the peacefulness of post-war science. Um, and, you know, it helps that he does have a good face for media and he gives you know, cryptic utterances to get people excited about the, the things he's talking about. It'll be good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So at that time, it meant that, you know, he, this was a scientific theory uh, and, and the evidence for it uh, confirming it being the eclipse. The eclipse itself, the, the confirmed theory, um, photographed by uh, Arthur Eddington, a British astronomer, probably helped i hadn't really thought about it but the fact that it was an eclipse really helped the media it gave those producers who people i'm familiar with mm -hmm. something to show you know i could imagine them saying oh we got this great theory this incredible theory this guy says that uh you know he's he's 
uh, this whole revolutionary theory about gravity, and he's turning Newton on his head, and da 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 da. And the producer's saying, "Yeah, I mean, you got any pictures?" Pic- As we say today, is this correct, Gabby? You say pics or it didn't happen? <laughs> yes. Uh, can I, I, I use the, the I hear the, that you know, more as a like. meme, but yes, <laughs> it's a little meta now yeah. to be like pics or it didn't happen, but yeah. Right, right, right. So uh, I think that the um, uh, Eddington. Oh, so Eddington, the astronomer, right? Uh, tell us, you know, Matt, I'm guessing he, yeah, he was, he was pretty he was savvy very guy. good at he public relations and lecturing and such. Instagram. So he would have been a good um, social media figure. Yeah. In fact, maybe that's the right way to think about this, that um, yeah. he tweets about Einstein. Um, and Einstein, he, he reports the latest yeah. cool, funny thing that Einstein said and did. Um, I'm not I'm not quite sure what the equivalent of that is to our, our modern media landscape. Um, I absolutely think it's equivalent to people who have Instagrams for their cats. Oh, nice. Like, okay. yeah, Eddington is running one essentially by by proxy for Einstein. <laughs> yeah, Einstein by proxy. Um, yeah, it probably well, it could be one of these things. Like, isn't it? In fact, I, I find these a little bit annoying, a little bit pompous, but occasionally inspirational. But more more often than not, just annoying. Is there's this whole thing now where people, and it's been going on for a while, but they post it that their Instagram the the picture they're posting on Instagram is, you know, a, little, a graphic of like a picture of somebody famous. And then in, you know, next to them in text, it's a quote. Oh, right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Einstein, Einstein is like everywhere. If you want, if you search Einstein meme or whatever, there's all kinds of quotes. Matt, is, are there, is there a particular saying um, that's like you hear all the time? Attributed oh, no, to it's Einstein just, it's an endless number. Not. Um, people just tack Einstein's name onto. Oh, <laughs> Things about bees. I'm like Einstein never said anything about bees. Like, come on. Um, but part of the problem. But there was no even ah a bee once. <laughs> like... um, but part of the problem is that he did say all these short, pithy, quotable things, um, and everyone was always haranguing him to say these sorts of things, and he was happy to do so. So actually tracking down exactly what he did and did not say is really challenging because every time he goes through a town, all the reporters show up and they say, Professor Einstein, what do you think about American politics? Professor Einstein, what do you think about jazz? And he would say something weird um, and people (laughs) would remember it. Um, So distinguishing the... uh, So actually it might be helpful for future historians if we do have social media, because all of his, all the things he says will now get written down, at least in this electronic form. And that'll be kind of cool. Yeah, that is interesting. But it, you know, it actually was, it tells us that it's not new, this problem of, for instance, of accuracy and attribution. No, I mean, it goes back to at least the internet now, ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I mean, the the gospels are four different versions of things Jesus said, right? Or did not say. Um, so oh, yes, man. it's a very old problem. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah, I've, if you try try to follow four, uh, I follow. There's these four uh, like philosophers I follow on Twitter, and they all it's great, great, but they don't uh, they don't line up perfectly. Um, so uh, as we go into World War II now, our favorite influencer, we stick with this guy Einstein. He's because he's pretty hilarious. Um, uh, and of course, there are um, tons of parody accounts also uh, yes, that are created, right. and and last to this day, you can find them. They're still on Twitter today. 
But um, <clears throat> where is Einstein during uh, Well, World I should War say II? this is not a particularly happy part uh, or fun part of the story here. Um, huh. Is that I should say, much like yeah. our reality, um, the people who are going to get really good at social media in the 20s and the 30s um, are the, um, the fascists. Right. I mean, the Nazis yeah. are going to be yeah. really good at this. Yeah. Um, this is what they do. Uh, wow. So yes. social media, yeah. as in our reality, is going to be full of um, uh, falsehoods and lies and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And Einstein is going to be at the heart of many of those the way, I don't know, Hillary Clinton is today. Um, so uh, I suspect Einstein will start tweeting on his own after he has to flee Germany um, because of the Nazis. Uh, and then he becomes sort of a a symbol of refugees fleeing the fascists in Europe. Um, and he works in our reality. He works really hard to bring people over from Europe to safer places in the U.S. and Canada and Mexico, too. Um, and social media would be a huge tool for that. Right. And he's trying to get people alert to the danger that the Nazis are are um, displaying towards the world. Yeah, that is fascinating. Imagining the Nazis having um, social media and stuff. I can connect to one part, one aspect of that, of their, their skills with the media, because being a film person and having studied film history, uh, Lenny Riefenstahl, mm, yeah. the great, uh, talented, let's say at least, um, uh, cinematographer and director, you know, was hired by Hitler to make many, many, many of the most kind of, uh, Instagramish <laughs> images uh, that we see, you know, uh, Triumph of the Will in particular, this film she made using all, all kinds of lighting and all this kind of stuff, uh, all this image making, uh, so much so that uh, another great uh, filmmaker who would come much later, who also had a genius for graphic design, I must say, mm -hmm. was George Lucas, and who used some images from uh, of re some images that Riefenstahl had created uh, for scenes in Star Wars, which are actually much more happy. Um, so I should say there but, is uh, an interesting... Okay, yeah, go Gabby, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, no, go ahead. So all yeah. these refugee scientists are coming over from, from Europe fleeing the Nazis for, for one reason or the other. Right. Um, they're all going to be uh, on social media because it's really important for refugee communities to use social media mm -hmm. to communicate with each other. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, after many of them come to the U.S. And then all, uh, a weird thing happens in late 1942, early 1943, is they all vanish from social media. All right. Enrico oh. Fermi stops tweeting. Mm -hmm. Niels Bohr stops tweeting. Um, and over in Russia, you know, the Soviet Union, they notice this because the, the Soviet Union really pays attention to people's social media use. Um, and yeah, a tradition that continues. Yeah. Um, and they notice that it's all these physicists that have suddenly stopped on social media. And they say, oh, that can't be a coincidence, right? The Americans are working on something big. Um, and of course, they're right, because the Manhattan Project has a very strict no social media rule. Um, right. And for those uh, Manhattan who don't Project know, was Manhattan the project, project to build the atomic bomb. Um, and the, the Manhattan Project was sort of the first, I don't know, really the first attempt in, in world history to create a totally information controlled environment 
Um, so that's why they build it in the middle of the wow. the desert in the southwest, um, so nobody can come and go. Uh, and they work really hard to make right. it impossible to, for people to communicate. And I should say, in the real world, the Soviets actually do notice this, that all the publications about nuclear fission suddenly stop. Um, and they correctly guess really? that the Americans are working on a bomb because of the lack of communication. So social media will aggravate that and make that happen much quicker. That is an amazing fact. I, I, I never knew that. And it's subtle. I, I feel like I ought to mention here. Uh, see, this actually ha discovering this actually happened anyway, regardless of the dead, the disappearance of social media, mm -hmm. uh, because an absence of information is just the same as information itself sometimes. And yeah. uh, there was a science fiction writer. Uh, yeah. uh, there was a short story called Deadline. Uh, which was published in Astounding Science Fiction. It was part of a serial, uh, and it described a, a, a secret atomic bomb project in some detail, including like where it was taking place and uh, stuff like that. That it was all of these, you know, physicists at what was it, Los Alamos or something like that. And mm -hmm. um, it, yep. the guy figured it out because like he, he literally had like the FBI come to him and be like, "What do you know?" And he's like, "I'm just writing a story, but if this, there's actually some merit to this." don't have me stop publishing it because that's going to look suspicious. But as he left, he's like, oh, by the way, I know exactly where you're building it because every physicist in the country changed their address to the same place. So it'd be a little bit like if everyone's geotags wow. changed very conveniently <laughs> and then their social media presence cut out. Right. Yeah. Or even creepier, it would be like their geotags didn't change. They just stopped, you know. So mm -hmm. it's like suddenly all these... Uh, all these uh, physicists got, you know, concerned about. Privacy. Yeah, so somebody ever right. suddenly everyone has a VPN out of Santa Fe, New Mexico, and you're like, wow, that doesn't yep. seem like that. Right? Um, that's right. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. In fact, by the way, if if you read, uh, uh, for instance, Richard Feynman's letters, uh, and of course, being one of the younger, the youthful members of the Manhattan Project team, and one of the most colorful um he really struggled with suddenly not being able to tweet i mean and Instagram, yeah that's right so in i should say in our reality um Feynman entertains himself by learning how to crack safes because he just needs something to keep himself <laughs> Why from being bored in this reality yeah. i'd yeah. imagine he becomes yeah. a hacker um same same kind of technical problem oh, wow. right and at least then he gets to uh wow. keep sending um snaps to his girlfriend so that's cool <laughs> That is a, that is amazing. I do, you know, you can see in his uh, Feynman's letters from that time in this other universe, cell service here is, is just terrible. Yeah, terrible. There is none. There's none. Uh, um, um, so I, I've got to take a moment and um, uh, uh, promote my friend Alex Wellerstein's book, Restricted Data, um, which is about secrecy. Uh, specifically atomic secrecy, and it begins with the Manhattan Project and sort of comes up to the present. Um, it's really a fantastic read. Um, Alex also has a, a wonderful blog by the same name, Restricted Data, um, which is uh, uh, which has a cool little app called NukeMap, in which you it'll it'll put down overlays of nuclear explosions on whatever Google Map you want. So if you want to drop a nuclear bomb on your hometown and see what happens. Go to Alex's blog. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is that is amazing. I must say, I in real, in this universe, when I was growing up, I grew up just outside uh, Washington, D.C. And so we we had maps, saw maps like that all the time. And I remember doing a, a book report saying, well, okay, so if we dropped a, you know, a nuclear bomb on the Washington Monument, this is how it would affect our little suburban town. Um, 
Crazy. Yep. Those were crazy times, Matt. Uh, Gabby, what are you, um, your your avatar in this universe? Let's say you you were on the front and you were, <clears throat> I forget what was during World War One. Your physician occupation scientist. was uh, essentially was, my same job, just closer to physicians dying things. That's right. <laughs> and so now this physician scientist has has moved on, and and uh, how are in this world are you using? Uh, social media and where got Matt, where would Gabby have been? Oh, based, um, at this point, just about well, the end of World sure, War II. What do we have our virologists doing? I mean, um, antibiotics are in a very primitive state at this point, um, but it would be very nice to have her working on that. Uh, I just say the general labor shortage in World War II meant that uh, women are able to work in scientific and technical occupations in a way that they that had not been able to before. Um, uh, so I don't know enough about, um, uh, microbiology at the time to say precisely where she would be at, but. So microbiology actually did get a, an interesting start because of World War II. Uh, goodness, I can't remember mm. who it was now. Um, there was a crack team of, of two scientists who left, uh, after World War II. One starts with a D, one starts with an F, and of course I can't remember right now. Uh, Delbrook? I, I can't remember. Um, it was two scientists who essentially went on uh, to become pretty prominent in the field of microbiology, and essentially they only met each other. One was Italian, one was German, I think, um, and they only met each other in America um, because they fled uh, for World War II, and their work was uh, really... Uh, is this the, is this are you thinking of Max Delbruck by any chance? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I what, was, what was his diet? Luria Delbruck. Delbruck yes. experiment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah, that would be great if you want yeah, to work with them. Yeah. So they won in nineteen. Yeah, yeah. So they win uh, uh, in nineteen the, nine, later in nineteen sixty nine. The Nobel Prize um, for Physiology or Medicine goes to uh, Max Delbruck, Alfred Hershey, and Salvador mm-hmm. I guess Luria I... for their discoveries discoveries concerning replication mechanism and the genetic structure. Yeah. So to, to basically just, yeah. I'll give you like a five second summary of this one. Cause it took me a minute to remember exactly what they did. Cause there's a lot of like two people, three people groups that did very similar experiments yeah. to each do important things in here. Uh, early virology was right. working primarily with phages, viruses of bacteria because they were very tractable. Um, and essentially what you could do is you could look for genetic mutations in the phage or the bacteria phage mutations that let it attack a bacteria that was resistant to it or bacteria mutations that became, that made it resistant to the phage. Um, and essentially they were trying to figure out, well, are mutations spontaneous or are they induced by exposure to the thing? Uh, because inevitably when you expose a population to a some selective agent, like a drug or a phage, some will come out and survive it. Mm-hmm. And is it, did they get that mutation because they were exposed to the thing or did they get it randomly? And essentially using some clever math, they were able to figure out and, and some, some nice controls, they were able to figure out that it was spontaneous and that anything along the way would, would, would get it. And essentially what told them that was variation uh, in their data, uh, because if it was induced, they would all kind of have about the same, it would cluster more tightly. And if it was spontaneous, you could get none or you could get a ton if the uh, mutation occurred very early on in the stock. Uh, and this was really important because, you know. So spontaneous. I'm, I'm just trying to imagine this. When you say spontaneous, that is, is it within a person? This is that, all in back. 
So this is all in bacteria, and it just means randomly at some point within the beaker, one of the bacteria got this mutation, became resistant to a thing it, it had never been exposed to. Uh, and this was really important. And it, so it was born with yeah, a mutation, it or it did it mutate while it was born with the mutation. Well, right. it split off from another bacteria and at some right. point got a mutation. It was random. Induced means I applied the thing oh, to yeah. it, and because I applied the thing to it, it got the mutation. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially, this was really important for our understanding of genetics, really. I mean, genetics was not really a field. We didn't really have a good idea of, you know, how heritability works, what it is. Um, so this became really foundational in these studies with phages, um, became the core of how we eventually understood genetics and molecular biology, even though they weren't necessarily what we might consider like classical virology today, which is more about disease. Wow, that's fascinating. And so um, somebody tweets this. Can you now, when you're working in, in the lab, Gabby, actually, I'm curious about this. Uh, I don't know. I'm guessing you're not on this kind of thing where there would have to be secrecy or whatever, but I imagine there are. In fact, just in science in general, don't you you try to actually you don't want leaks of an exciting thing uh, happening. It's weird. In an experiment, so right? You're not science to, can be very open. Yeah. It depends if you're doing science for profit or for the government, because that is very mm -hmm. tight lipped. That's a good point. Um, but open access uh, science is really important, yes. and scientists do frequently just talk to each other, just share data. It's why it was kind of funny during the pandemic. There was a lot of stuff that I realized I knew maybe like five or six months with the general public because I happen to know the people who were doing the experiments. And, you know, my parents would get excited and send me a, a an article and I'd be like, yeah, this is old news. And then I just realized, no, it's it's new news to everybody else. I just happen to know the people who were doing it. And so yeah. I do think that the exchange of information between scientists would have been really fantastic because, you know, you have people who are isolated by the war um, frequently. You know, at this time, a lot of, you know, scientific collaboration was carried out essentially by letter. Um, yeah. you send somebody a letter to tell them, you know, what it is you found. Now you could just DM them. That is fantastic. That is essentially <laughs> yeah. skipping email. That is revolutionary. And I mean, yeah. you know, there were scientists in World War II, uh, like, uh, Rita, Rita Levi Montalcini, who was literally discovering nerve growth factor while on the run from the Nazis. Like, she could not essentially publish her data at all until later she managed to get a position in a lab and then was like, hey, I found this. This is cool. And then bang, Nobel Prize. Um, so, you know, there was potentially an opportunity here now for science to have been sped up and not really slowed down uh, by scientists being interfered with in the war. And I think that World War II was where there was less of a scientist or just another body to put out in front of a cannon kind of thing. Like there was a slightly more specialization where if you were a scientist, they were like, all right, keep doing the science as long as it's for the war as opposed to just yeah. get out there and shoot things right yeah in world war one yeah. scientists yeah. were not it was not clear that scientists should be kept back to work on scientific projects as, as gabby says they should just go fight um and then by world war ii they're like yeah, maybe it would be nice to have a giant bomb that can destroy an entire city right right although my from my understanding of for instance when einstein uh during world war one was that uh the Germans, at least, or the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, or such as it was then, was with Fritz Haber, you know, uh, inventing heart, first or fertilizer, a synthetic fertilizer, which is great, but then chemical weapons, which is awful. Um, but they really were. Was it were the Germans more focused on in World War One? Slightly, but generally, we're still science. all self motivated. So it's not like the government went to Haber and yeah. said, "Can you do something cool?" 
with all this chemistry stuff, but rather it was oh, Hover man. who went to the government and said, you know, I could make you a million tons of poisonous gas. If, if that would be something you'd be interested in, I can, I yeah. can just do that. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So he owns that. He owns that. That's a big own. Um, fascinating. And we can end with by saying, you know, after World War II, and again, Matt, you can probably speak to this better, but there is an explosion of technology, you know, the, the, partly because of, anyway, there's all this stuff that was worked on both in electronics and computing and, and biology, all these different things that were worked on uh, during the war effort that eventually, as it, off, as it usually finally does, makes its way down to the pub, out to the public or down to the consumer level, right? Um, we get, uh, radio has an explosion, of course, but um, television and radar and I don't know. Is, is that true? <laughs> Matt, um, yeah, but it takes a little while, be... right? So, you know, you think of like the transistor okay. radio. Yeah. Um, there certainly wouldn't have been a transistor radio without the developments of World War II. Um, but um, it still uh, takes uh -huh. 10 years, right? Um, right. Although, oh, yeah. this transistor itself, I mean, would be the ultimate explosion. Um, so what if social media had begun this early, it, let's say by the end of World War II, it's easily at least up to the mammoth proportions mm -hmm. that it is now, what we consider mammoth, but maybe puny compared to what is to come. Um, what, where, Gabby or Matt, I leave it to you, where do you think, what is the next... Uh, level what's the next turn that's coming with social media i don't have a thought about the next turn of social media but my thought is just something that we didn't really touch on you know social media doesn't exist in a vacuum uh -huh. it is a tremendous technological achievement to, yeah. to be able to bring you someone's dumb stuck on the toilet thought at 3 a.m that takes a lot <laughs> yeah. of server space yeah. that takes yeah. a lot yeah. of uh, essentially internet yeah. infrastructure uh and so you know while we're just sort of play acting yeah. like this exists in a vacuum uh the tremendous technological feat that this would represent and essentially give people going into world war ii uh could be you know potentially catastrophic you know world war one was sort of a weird war in the fact that it was it was the beginning of the industrialization of warfare i guess you could say where you know it's not like before it was you know sticks and rocks but it it's starting it's not really fully recognizable i think as, as warfare world war ii kind of is but world war one is a weird a weird point where like the planes aren't quite planes yet and they're not used the way we expect planes yeah, to be yeah. used in combat and stuff like that uh so yeah. all of a sudden putting the technology power of a motorola razor despite the fact that that doesn't seem like a lot uh at play here is 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 more than just the social media factor which i mean i guess we could spend an entire other hour just talking about that but you know yeah yeah, or the Microsoft Zoom, yeah. uh, the the Microsoft iPod. Um, uh, yeah, that is fascinating, actually. And I must say, then it goes back to Sean's original question, you know, about what if social media existed in World War II. Um, taking everything you just said, Gabby, about the remember the infrastructure and all that, it's basically impossible to imagine. Uh, or it, it is a very, very, very uh, for anyone who wants to run this experiment again, which I'd be curious to do. Um, the permutations are just so huge because like uh, one thing one could hope is that blitzkrieg for instance wouldn't work as well or certainly you know if certain atrocities are beginning to happen that the news would mm -hmm. get out earlier um and maybe that would have made a difference a but um, yeah we don't know that's really where we live today he oh, said he has something real quick hey, I'm getting oh, okay yeah 
Sorry. Assistant student. Um, <laughs> that's all right. So I got to finish. Oh, yes. Good. Good. No. Kudos. That is probably a Could Nobel be. Prize winner right there. Um, yeah. So it's it's hard to imagine what would, what would happen. So thank you, Sean, for this incredible, incredible question. Fascinating. Um, and uh, leaves a lot of things for you out there who are listening to speculate on. I'd love to hear what you think. What thoughts came to mind. Um, and also, just what are some of your favorite uh, things that came out of... Uh, positive things perhaps that came out of either war, but, but whatever. Um, email us at feedback at what the if.com uh, or go to our website, what the if.com or go to our Twitter at what the if show and see what's happening there. Lots of, lots of fun, exciting things. Um, and so uh, as we end this uh, commemoration of uh, the end of world war one, which is very nice to celebrate the, uh, a day of peace, I urge you to go um, look up Einstein's War, a fabulous work of uh, popular science. Can, can we yeah, call it, is fine. that, would we call it that, no Matt? Popular that. science? Popular science literature uh, by Matt Stanley. Um, Matt, is there anything uh, no, else you'd like to plug? This coming up. All right. Gabby, anything you'd like to plug? Get your vaccine, get your booster shot if you've got the option. It saved me from getting COVID, so it's worth it. <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm just going to say, if any of you, the next time you're having an, uh, an x-ray at the dentist office or wherever, uh, remember Madame Curie having to lug that giant thing that's pointing at you around yeah. the uh, unbelievable uh, foxholes of uh, World War One. And so we end with our ritual. Uh, and Matt, would you like to lead us in this ritual? And we will say goodbye. Yeah, well, we uh, as we wake up in the morning... And in 1946, uh, and discovered that we have 11,000 unread notifications. Um, we have no <laughs> choice but to scream in horror. What? Thanks for tuning in. Peace. See you next week.